Early one Thursday morning in 2003, Aaron Ralston began what uh, he anticipated being a, a normal eight-hour, 13-mile trek through a canyon in Utah. And what began normal didn't go normal. He was an experienced outdoorsman. He was even on part of the rescue mountain rescue team in the past. His physical ability was, was in shape. Uh, the course he had tackled was within his technical ability as a climber, but things did not go as planned. As he was scampering up uh, uh, a place, a narrow part of the canyon, he managed to dislodge an 800-pound boulder that pivoted on its, uh, rotated on its pivot points and crushed his arm. No way to escape. Right? Five days goes by. He exhausts his food and his water. He's got no ability to call for help. He cannot get himself out. So he, he, go, he, he reaches for, for drastic measures. Right? He manages to not pass out and cutting off his own arm. Putting a tourniquet on it and hiking out. Now, people were looking for him, but they had no idea where to look. All of that could have been avoided if he would have followed his own first rule of hiking. Tell someone where you're going and when you'll be back. It was his own rule. And yet, in a fleeting moment, he didn't think he needed to tell anybody where he's going. He thought everything was going to go normal. He managed to save his life, but he lost an arm. All because he didn't depend on somebody else to help him. A lot of Christians are like that. A lot of professing Christians are like that. A lot of people in this world are like that. They're fiercely independent. They, they think that they, they got this. I got this. I can do it on my own. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians are like that. They kind of think of themselves as the, as the lone, the Christian lone ranger. And keep in mind, even the lone ranger had Tonto. But if you're really alone, if a lone ranger didn't have Tonto, he's the dead ranger, right? So really the, the lone ranger is the dead ranger. The lone Christian is the fruitless and useless Christian. God has designed his people to be Dependent on one another. Ultimately dependent on him. And he describes us as what? Sheep. Right? We're not those lone animals that kind of spend most of their time all by themselves. He describes us as sheep who need a shepherd and need each other. Right? It, God has not made us to be loners. To be the, the lone ranger Christians. Uh, we cannot live the life that God wants us to live Living it independently. The faithful Christian is the dependent Christian. And that's really the focus of this message. Dependency is required. And we're going to get this from the end of, of Philemon, what some would consider throwaway verses. But I want you to see that Paul doesn't throw away verses, even when they're regular, his regular pattern. 
Ultimately, the Holy Spirit doesn't throw away verses. Before we dig into this, let's let's just read God's word together. And again, I'll, I'll read the whole letter since it's fairly short. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother, and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. I And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, prepare, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And really looking at the closing of this letter, I want us to see that if we're going to be faithful Christians uh, to, to accomplish, who are accomplishing the work of God, the work that God has given us, we must be dependent on God and the means that God provides. And I want to highlight four ways that we are to live in dependency upon God from Philemon. The first one is the work of God requires us to be dependent upon God's word. And, and here we're just going to kind of summarize the, the whole appeal and instruction that's found in the letter of Philemon. Philemon needed this instruction. That's why Paul wrote it. And obviously, since it's included as a portion of text, then, then it's an instruction that we also need. Uh, Paul knew Philemon was to receive Onesimus like a beloved brother, like, like he would receive Paul himself. And he needed to be he appealed to in order to do that. He wouldn't naturally do that. Right? And, and there is a, a nearly 
constant battle uh, in our own minds for, uh, for ideas in our culture. I, I hope that you see that in our culture, the, the war of words that's going on within our culture. It's in your workplaces. It's in your schools. It's in the shopping centers. It's everywhere. And, and the world is trying to press in upon you as a Christian and conform your thinking to how they want you to think. But you need to be transformed by God's word. And you need to, to adopt passages of scripture like what we read today in Psalm 119. Um, and even what we read last week. But particularly, I want to draw out just how someone, Psalm 119, the psalmist's desire is what? Lord, teach me. Let me meditate on your word. Teach me. I want to follow your precepts. He says, I, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. If, we, if we're not taking in God's word and God's instruction, it's going to be all so easy to sin against, sin against God and sin against one another. And he's just pleading with God, teach me. Teach me, God, your, your statutes. All the judgments from your mouth. I want to know all, Lord God. And so just this is just a reminder to us that we live in dependency upon God's instruction, God's word. And, and it's important that we remind ourselves it's not, it's not enough just to know the will of God. It's good to know the will of God. That's, that's the starting place, but it's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that we would live out God's word, that we would become doers of God's word and not merely hearers to delude themselves. In fact, just knowing the word of God and, and stopping there puts you in a very dangerous position because James 4.17 tells us that to, one, to the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's sin. And we want to live faithfully to the Lord as doers of the word of God. I, I quoted to you there James 1.22 to become doers of the word of God. But in context, he says this. He says, no, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in gentleness, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Become doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So if we don't listen to the word of God, we become like those who are, who are quick to speak, quick to get angry. But uh, scripture appeals us to be, to be quick to listen and allow that word to, to be implanted in your life and to grow by doing the word of God. Receive the word of God. We must be forewarned and on guard that, that the weaknesses of our flesh and the schemes of Satan are raging to trip us up, to make us sin, to pull us away from God. Our sinful human nature wants to pull us out of orbit. Or, you know, as Christians, we're to be orbiting around God in our lives. But our sin and Satan's schemes want to pull us out of that orbit so that we're just orbiting around and Satan doesn't really care. You can orbit around yourself. This is where a lot of people are. They're, they're the little king of their lives. They have their little, their little uh, you know, universe that they are, they think that they are operating in. But, but that's, that's not where God wants us. 
That's where we're not, we're not to be. We're dependent upon God's word. Let me give you an example. When someone hurts you, your instinct is to say something back or to hurt them back. That's called revenge. And revenge can feel really sweet. I mean, level with me. I've been there, right? Revenge sometimes feels really sweet. And that's what I mean by our own flesh pulls us out of orbit from where God wants us to be because God's word says what in Romans 12? Never pay back, never pay back evil for evil for anyone, to anyone. Respect what is, the, what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God gives us a recipe that's contrary to the human flesh. We are to overcome evil by good, not by, by greater evil. That's how, the, that's how, that's how um, you know, the world reacts. You know, there, there are people who say, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you twice as hard. You used to have a president like that. But that is not God's way. Doing what feels right is like trying to run a, a mountain course um, in the dark with, with no flashlights. You're going to trip and fall and seriously hurt yourself. That's what it's like. Is God's word is a light unto our path. It's designed to guide our feet so that we so we walk in the right way. And this world is truly a dark place that's trying to pull you out of the light and into the darkness. Or even as a Christian, though you are an ambassador of light, is trying to get you to act like you are living in the darkness. You need God's word to, to guide you. So ask yourself, how is your dependency upon the word of God? Are you reading the word of God yourself? Right? It's good that you're here. You're hearing the word of God. Right? That's a step of obedience. What do you do outside of Sunday? Are you, are you listening to the word of God? Right? Listening to it, somebody else read it, that's fine too. I'm just talking about taking in the word. Are you, are you taking in the word of God on a regular basis because you realize it's, it's food for your soul? Do you take time to study and to meditate on God's word? If the answer is rarely, if ever, right? that should be a red flag on your spiritual condition. Because the person who's truly converted, who understands what God has done, is going to be reading the word of God, going to love the word of God. You're going to need that food like, you're, like, you, like you long to be fed. Maybe three times a day. Most of us do anyway. Um, but the, the point of that regularity is every time you read, you eat, that that be a reminder that you need to feed on the word of God. right? Meditating on it. Allowing that word of God to guide you in your life. And remember, if the, if the end of the day is you analyze your life and, and you're not reading the word of God on your own, you might do it when your parents tell you or when, when forced to, but you're really not doing it on a regular basis on your own desire, you may not even be in Christ. And if you die today, you're going to die in your sins and face an eternal punishment in hell because you've rejected the only means of, of salvation that, that God has given. But it doesn't have to be that way. If you will turn to Christ, he will change your heart. 
confess your sins to him, believe that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he was raised in newness of life, and that he promises to save and transform every person who comes to him. And you just keep praying that until your heart changes. And he will change it. You can't change it. But if you turn to him, you truly seek him, he'll not turn you away. And you'll know you're saved when you long to read the word of God. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you won't have days where, where it's not like fun. Right? Spiritual growth is hard. Right? So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But if you never long to read the Word of God, it's probably an indication that you're not saved. That as a normal Christian, you're going to struggle sometimes to making devotion to read the Word of God. So that's not what I'm talking about. But if that is you, where you struggle to regularly read the Word of God as a believer, then ask God to change your heart. Do it anyway, even if you don't feel like it. But ask God to change your heart, and He will do that. So God calls us to be dependent upon the Word of God. That's our first dependency. Second dependency is upon God's power. Upon God's power. God requires us to be dependent upon His power. Living a Christian life is not something that we can do on our own. That's the legalistic church. Or that's the church that that so minimizes God's Word that it makes it humanly achievable. Oh yeah, you can do that. Because they just lower God's standards. Where like adultery is only physical adultery. It's not what you deal with in your heart. God requires us to be dependent upon his power. Think about this. If there was ever a case for a lone ranger Christian, it would be the Apostle Paul. He had pedigree. And training, and education, understanding of the word of God, of the Old Testament. God saved him. Christ personally appeared to him. Christ strengthened him, taught him. And yet Paul is is not the Lone Ranger Christian. It's a whole list of of names that we see uh, that we're going to get into in a moment. And then there's this constant dependency upon God through prayer. And that's really what we want to see here from, from Philemon. Paul depended upon God to work. Paul could say all the right things. You know, when he went to Corinth, he said, I come to you with fear and trembling and just focusing on the cross. Why did Paul come in fear and trembling? Because he knew that his words alone wouldn't change the heart. His his words might create a follower of Paul. But the only way to become a follower of Christ is by a change of heart. And that requires God's power in his life. It's in in a similar way. It's like a pastor preaching to you. A pastor can preach all the right things to you. But if God is not at work in your heart, they will bounce off like like water off a duck's back. They won't have any impact in your life. God has to be at work in your life for the word of God to to sink in and change your life. And and we see this dependency in two places in Philemon. In the opening uh, verses, we see that. Uh, Notice um, his, his prayer he says, um, well, first of all, in verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That in itself is, a, is reflective of a prayer. But then in verse 6, he, he says that. He says, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So Paul is, 
is commending Philemon, that he's refreshed the hearts of the saints, that his faith has been, the fellowship of his faith has been effective, that he's, he's, he's integrated into the local church, he's serving the local church, that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is becoming active in the, in, within the body of Christ. Paul prays that that would continue with this difficult case of Onesimus and receiving Onesimus back. So that, that's, that's Paul's prayer. He's dependent upon God to work in Philemon's life to do the right thing in the right way. And we also see Paul's uh, dependency in the closing verses of Philemon. In, in verse uh, uh, 20, really verse 25, he, he says, the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And we'll get more into that in a moment. But that's, that's, that's prayer. Understand that that the, the, what Paul is doing, he's, he's signing off his letter, but he's signing off his letter with a prayer. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul was dependent upon prayer. And we also see Paul himself. Paul just wasn't dependent upon prayer for others that they would obey. He was also dependent upon prayer for his own needs. Do you know that? Even the Apostle Paul, right, who at times received direct revelation from God, needed to pray to God. He wasn't living independently. And we see this even at kind of the end of verse um, 20, 22. Uh, in verse 22, he says, at the same time, also prepare for me a lodging, for I hope that through what? Through your prayers, I will be given to you. Where was he? He was imprisoned in Rome. Okay. Paul wanted to go to uh, Colossae to encourage Philemon and Onesimus in doing the right thing. He wanted to see Biblical forgiveness and love in action. But he couldn't go because he was still in prison. So it, it, in a way, it, it shows Paul's dependency upon their prayers. And when he says your prayers, he's not just, just talking to Philemon. He's talking to Archippus. He's talking to the whole church that met in um, Philemon's home. Aphia, his, his wife. He's, he's, it's, a, it's a collective your. He was dependent upon their prayers that he would be released in prison, and and I think he was released, although we have no record of that. It's it's a little bit debatable, but he, but he says there, I hope for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you, and that that hope is is the same biblical word hope used in so many other places. It's a confident expectation. And so really based on that, I, I think Paul was released and and did get there, although it's a matter of of debate for some. But but the point I want to make is that Paul prayed. And he was dependent upon God. So if Paul, who has better pedigree uh, spiritually, uh, who knew the scriptures better than any of us here, if Paul was such a man of prayer, he realized he depended upon God, God's power in his own life, God's power in other people's life. If he did that, shouldn't we? I mean, how dare, it's very arrogant of us to think that we can live the Christian life without, without God. If, if Paul thought, understood that he needed God's prayer, and you come under even more conviction when you analyze the life of Jesus, God himself, and yet we know that Jesus was a man of prayer to his Father, the perfect man. So again, that's, that's the ultimate example. And yet we find our lives difficulty praying prayerless days these things should not be ask yourself do you pray regularly right? i hope you pray before you eat right at least three three times or whenever you eat thanking god for your food so i'm talking about more than that 
right? Do you, do you pray? You spend time talking to your God, praising Him, giving Him thanks, exalting Him, telling Him how lovely He is, how wonderful His love is, how great His forgiveness is, and petitioning them for, for the needs you have, for food, for clothing, for shelter, things we often take for granted, our health. We need to be prayerful people. A prayerless Christian is a fake Christian. If, if, you're, if you're prayerless, you're no Christian at all, at least not before God. And, and at the best case, think about how, what a statement of independence you're making. You're saying, yeah, God, I'll, I'll depend upon you for salvation, but in this life I can, I can take care of things of myself. Right? None of us would say that, I know. I'm just taking our, our actions to their logical conclusion to help us see that these things ought not to be. We are to be dependent upon God through His Word. And, and, and you can look at your prayer life and, and its frequency or infrequency to see how dependent or how independent you are living life before God. The transformation of becoming more like Christ in your own life, you need to pray. Yes, God's going to complete the work that He has begun in your life. He is going to do that. But you need to pray and work towards that. And you need to pray for your church. You need to pray for the salvation of sinners. It's a, it's, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. And yet, it is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. How does someone believe the message that the natural human receives is foolishness? By the power of God to change the heart. Oh, beloved, we need to be people who are dependent upon God's word and God's power, but also God's people. The work of God requires a dependency upon God's people. Again, we can look at the Apostle Paul's life. If there's ever a case for the Lone Ranger Christian, it would be him, but he, that's not him. In every single one of his letters, you, you, he mentions co-workers, co-laborers, uh, co-prisoners, Right? The, the work of God cannot be done alone. And the Apostle Paul recognized this, knew this. You know, and even when someone, even when God calls a particular person to, a, let's say, a special place of ministry, just providentially, he directs them to a certain place. And you could say Paul was like that sometimes. But even when it appears like they're all alone, they're not really all alone. They, 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 have others, God is providing um, help for them. They, they still need accountability. We all need accountability, encouragement, assistance, and, and support of true friends in the ministry that God has given to us. And that's true for me. It's true for you. Brothers and sisters in Christ share in the labor, share in the joys, the disappointments, share in the sufferings. And seeking first the kingdom of God on this planet requires difficulty, but we're not to undergo that difficulty by ourselves. Like I said, even when God draws a particular person to a, to a spotlight in ministry, where they seem like they're all alone, they're not really all alone. Right? You have Esther, she had Mordecai, and she asked for all the Jews to pray for three days before she went to the king, at the risk of her own life. Moses had Aaron and Joshua, 
David had Jonathan and the whole band of faithful men. Daniel had Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And when Elijah thought he was all alone, he said, God, I'm all alone. He wasn't. He had Aram. God told him about Aram, Jehu, and Elisha. And 7,000 people who had not bowed the knee to an idol. That is, they are worshiping the true God. He wanted Elijah to know he was not alone. And because Paul's ministry was in, involved with so much travel, he's a traveling missionary. He's known for his missionary travels. He had many co-laborers in Christ all over the, the, the area where he ministered, all over the Mediterranean, and maybe even as far as Spain. We're not sure if he ever made it to Spain or not. And, and notice in Philemon that he mentions Timothy is with him. Timothy and Titus appear frequently as like, like pastoral or apostolate delegates. I've mentioned, to that, mentioned that to you in the past. Timothy has mentioned the first part of the letter. He, Timothy could be writing at least parts of this letter on behalf of Paul. As Paul, as Paul dictates the letter to Timothy and tells him what's, what to write. Then we have Tychicus. Tychicus is unmentioned in this letter. But we know from the letter of Colossae, which is written about the same time, that Tychicus brought the letter of Colossae and probably also this letter of Philemon, escorting um, uh, Onesimus back to the city of Colossae. So Paul relied upon Tychicus. Next, there's Onesimus, right, featured in this, this letter. But Paul says he was faithful. He, he was useful to Paul. He ministered to Paul. And then there's the list of names found in verses 23 and 24. Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. We've got to like pass over that. But, but there's, some, there's some interesting things, uh, some nuggets of truth in each one of these names. Epaphras. When you think about Epaphras, think about the faithful pastor evangelist or the faithful pastor doing the work of an evangelist. He was a shepherd at heart. Epaphras was from Colossae. We believe that he heard the gospel from Paul when Paul was ministering in and around Ephesus. Then he went back to Colossae and brought the gospel there. And on top of that, we believe that he brought the gospel to Laodicea and Heropolis as well, which were cities kind of, kind of nearby. Epaphras had a pastor's heart. And pastors often need pastors. That's why the church is called to have a plurality of elders, a plurality of pastors. Epaphras was a pastor to Paul, even though Paul was, as, an, as a pastor, uh, was an apostle, Epaphras was a great encourager to Paul. Now, Paul describes Epaphras here in this letter of Philemon. He says Epaphras, he describes him as a slave of Christ Jesus. A slave of Christ Jesus. Uh, that is a designation that Paul used of himself several times. But of others, Paul only uses it one time. And that is of Epaphras. That tells you something about the level of service and devotion that Epaphras had to Christ. And, and in serving, serving um, Paul in his ministry. Epaphras shared Paul's deep pastoral concern for the brethren in, in the cities that he ministered to, that he evangelized. In fact, Colossians 4.12, we, we learned that, that Epaphras prayed on a regular basis, that these believers would stand complete and fully, insur fully assured in the will of God. Paul also wrote in the letter to the letter of, um, uh, sorry, in the letter of Philemon. When when Paul wrote the letter of Philemon, Epaphras was 
a fellow prisoner in Rome. He describes in that way, a fellow prisoner. And Paul describes Epaphras' imprisonment as being in Christ Jesus. That is, Epaphras shared Paul's ideology. Yes, the Romans were the ones who were the, the immediate um, constraint, but they saw the hand of God in providentially redirecting his ministry. So he calls him a, um, a fellow prisoner in Rome. And we don't really know whether this uh, this this imprisonment, when we're talking about when he describes Epaphras as a fellow prisoner, whether that's a voluntary or involuntary imprisonment. It, it could be that Epaphras was arrested for preaching the gospel and turning the world upside down like Paul was. Or it could be that Epaphras voluntarily uh, imprisoned himself in order to minister to Paul. And it's interesting that in Paul's uh, letter to Colossians, I mentioned in a minute, you have Aristarchus who's mentioned as the prisoner. So it's almost like a swap. So it's possible that, that they were there voluntarily um, in the prison so they could minister to Paul. Epaphras is one of those who spent time, much time with Paul. And he is the one that brought him news of the Colossian church. That, that we know that from Colossians chapter 1. And that, that spurred Paul to, to write that letter to the Colossians. So when you think of Epaphras, think of that faithful pastor evangelist who's a slave of Christ. But next on the list is Mark. And when we think of Marcus, it's a Greek pronunciation, or Mark, as we call him, um, understand that think of him as the one restored to usefulness. The one restored to usefulness. Mark was Barnabas's cousin. In Colossians 4.10 is where we know that. And Mark is also called John or John Mark. So when you study that, you have to kind of be careful, not confuse him with other Johns. Mark is his Greek name. John is his Hebrew name. His, his mother, Mary, not, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, so this, don't get that confused. There are a lot of Marys during that time, uh, just like there are now. But um, his, his mother, Mary, had a very large house. We believe that she was a widow because her husband isn't mentioned at all. So Mary is, is Mark's mother. She used her house to minister to the saints in Jerusalem. And when Herod arrested Peter, intending to put him to death, you know, remember the angel that comes in the middle of the night and, and just supernaturally opens the, you know, the chains fall off, the, the doors go open, and Peter doesn't know whether he's dreaming or whether it's reality. And when he realizes he's beyond the gates, it's reality. And, he, and where does he go? He goes to Mary's house. Because he knew the saints would be praying for him there. And that's where Rhoda, the, the, uh, the girl, comes to the door. And she thinks she's seen a ghost. And she can't believe it's really Peter. That, all that happened right there at Mary. Mar, that's, Mark was there. That, that's, that's Mark's house. So he's exposed to Peter at a very early life. That's important for later in Mark's life. Just hold that thought a minute. So we, we run across Mark. Um, really, when uh, Paul and Silas... Uh, sorry, Paul and Barnabas uh, are sent from Antioch to Jerusalem with, uh, with an offering for the saints because they're, they're, they're struggling. The saints in Jerusalem um, didn't, didn't have enough supplies. And, and so the, the believers in Antioch sent a gift to the believers in Jerusalem with Paul and with Barnabas. Remember, Barnabas is Mark's cousin. Right? So when they get done with that gift, Barnabas takes Mark along with Paul and they go back to Antioch. And at Antioch is where the Holy Spirit called Paul to go on his first missionary journey. So on his first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas are sent out. They take Mark with them. 
At some point during that journey, Mark gets cold feet. We don't know why. Maybe it's the difficulty. Maybe it was the threat of violence. We're not told why, but Mark deserted them and went back to Jerusalem. And we, we know that from, from Acts 12 and, and 13. Later, Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch, give a report. Then that's when there's this big controversy over whether the Gentiles had to obey the law of Moses or not. So the church in Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas back down to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council. That's Acts 15. At the end of that, they go back to Antioch with a letter from, from the elders from, from Jerusalem about the good news that the Gentiles weren't required to obey the law of Moses. And, and it appears that Mark went back to Antioch with them. And, it, and there Paul said, well, we need to go back and check on all the churches that we planted. We need to go visit them. And it was at that point that, that Barnabas said, I want to bring Mark. I believe he's a changed man. I want to, I want to give him a second shot. Right? He needs to come with us. He needs to conquer his fears, so to speak. And Paul said, uh-uh, that's not happening. He had deserted us. And, and deserting when you're in difficulties, that, that deflates the whole team. Paul did not want that happening again. And, and there they arose such a contention between them that they, that they separated. They agreed to go their separate ways. Paul and, and Barnabas, who had done so much ministry together. It was Barnabas that went and found Paul and brought him to Antioch. But Barnabas believed so much in Mark that and Mark's change, that it was important to give Mark this opportunity that they agreed to separate. So Paul took Silas and went on his missions. Barnabas took Mark and went on his. He went to Cyprus. And when when Paul, um, so so that's that in in essence that's why Mark's name here in this list should be a surprise. And if you just read it, you just don't even think about it. Why is Paul? Now mentioning Mark later, later in life as a co-worker because of Mark's change. In essence, Barnabas was right. What changed in Mark's life? Well, Scripture doesn't tell us. So, so realize what I'm about to tell you is just connect, connecting some dots within church history. Church tradition says that Peter ministered to Mark. Remember the connection between Peter and Mark? Ministered so much. Peter, in effect, calls Mark my beloved son in his first epistle. So there is a close connection. That's biblical. Don't you think Peter knew something about failure? Yeah, he did, didn't he? He denied Christ, what, three times? But he knew what restoration looked like too. He knew what forgiveness looked like. He knew what it felt like to, to be given another opportunity, to be empowered by God to serve faithfully. And, and so church history, I think, rightly connects that Mark's turnaround with Peter's involvement. So much so, that turnaround was so significant that at the end of Paul's life, what does he tell Timothy? Bring Mark. He's useful to me. What a commendation. So useful, in fact, that Mark was used to write the gospel of Mark. He's not an apostle. So that was written under the authority of Peter. We believe that Mark got much of his information from Peter. So you could say the Gospel of Mark is really the Gospel according to Peter. But it's Mark's pen. So Mark should be an encouragement to any of you who have ever failed. Ever blown it? Ever been unfaithful? Ever remained quiet when you should have said something? Ever turned the other way? You know, uh, it, Scripture says plowmen should not turn away from the plow. You ever turned away from the plow? 
Mark should be an extremely encouraging person for you. That you could be forgiven, restored, and made very useful. What an, what an encouragement Mark is. That he appears on this list is, is really astounding. So remember Mark is the one restored to useful service. Then you have Aristarchus. Aristarchus, we really don't know much about him. Call him the average faithful Christian. We have his name, but really we don't really know too much about him. Aristarchus, as polled, uh, really appears in, in Acts in the tumultuous events of, of uh, the, in the uh, Ephesian encounter. The Ephesian uh, silversmiths, the riotous crowd that, that they wanted to drag Paul into this crowd and, and uh, they couldn't find him, so they grabbed Aristarchus and Gaius and dragged them in, so that's where we first see him. But, but Aristarchus is ever by Paul's side. He's a truly faithful helper. He voluntary, voluntarily accompanied Paul on his fateful journey from Caesarea Philippi on his journey to Rome, which meant he was also involved in that shipwreck um, there on Malta. He stayed with Paul. And he was never far from Paul, though we don't know much about him. Uh, we know that uh, from uh, early church historian Eusebius that, that Paul was likely beheaded under Nero's uh, reign of terror. But you know what? So was Aristarchus. History, tradition tells us that Aristarchus um, was also martyred in Rome. So we can draw the logical conclusion that, that he didn't run away. He stayed with Paul until the end, even into the end of death. So when you think of Aristarchus, think of the average faithful Christian. Don't know much about him, but God does. Then there's Demas. For a different reason, this name should also surprise us that it appears here. When you think of Demas, think of the apostate man or the fake Christian. Demas's um, appearance on the list is surprising or should surprise us because of what happens later in Demas's life. Demas served faithfully. That's why he's listed here at the end of Philemon. He's listed as a co-worker. He was faithful. But he was kind of the reverse of Mark. You know, Mark started out okay, then became unfaithful, and then ended up faithful. But with Demas, he started faithful. And you could say he continued faithful. He's even mentioned in the, in the letter of Colossians. But in 2 Timothy 4, Paul's last letter, it says that Paul... Desert, I mean, sorry, Demas deserted Paul. And the English word between Mark deserting Paul and Demas deserting Paul sounds the same. Greek's different. The Greek word that, for desert that he's using with Demas means to leave in a place of great need. He'd say, leave in the lurch. Paul needed a help. We don't know the circumstances. Paul was in need of help. Demas left. You know, and it was towards the end of his life, so maybe Demas saw the handwriting on the wall, so to speak, that Paul was not going to escape martyrdom this time. Now, I'm filling in some blanks here. The scripture doesn't say this, but maybe it was the threat of death that Demas just said, no, I'm not going to do that. We don't know all the circumstances, but we know his heart condition because Paul tells us in Second Timothy 4, Demas loved this present world. Demas deserted us because he loved this present world. That really tells us where his heart was at. His heart really didn't love God. First John two fifteen tells us that that the love of do not love the world do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. 
but the one who does the will of God abides forever. You see, the, the love of God and the love of the world cannot coexist, cannot coexist within the same heart. They're competing. It's like saying you can love money and love God. Jesus said you can't. If you love money, you can't love God. If you love God, you can't love money. They won't coexist within a redeemed person's heart. Demas was much like Judas Iscariot. Nobody suspected Judas. Nobody. When he betrayed Jesus. Well, Jesus knew, but none of the other disciples knew. Nobody knew Demas was going to depart. Not even Paul. He looked like the average faithful Christian until he departed. No one suspected him of being a false convert. And, and the point of this letter, when the letter was written, Demas was yet faithful, but he didn't finish well. And, and sadly, there are plenty of Demas-type people within local churches today. They're serving, serving faithfully. Maybe you've known some of these for years. They profess Christ, they serve faithfully, but they don't end well, do they? They turn away. And so in, in, in a church, when we gather, it's, it's prudent for me to, to just say, examine your heart, test your heart to see if you are in the faith. Don't end like Demas. And if your life is like Demas, there's, there's, no, there's no spark of life. There's no uh, converted soul within you. It doesn't have to end that way. Jesus will change Jesus will forgive. And even Jesus warns us of this. That's why he says, enter the narrow gate. Not the wide gate. It's, it's the wide gate that, that leads to destruction. Of course, people don't know. They don't think. They don't believe they're headed to destruction. That's why they're on the wide road. But it's that narrow road that leads to life. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many miracles? And then I will say, I will declare to them, sad words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. Notice it's not, I used to know you, but now I don't. I never knew you. They look like converts to everybody else, but God knew their heart and he never knew them. So don't end up like Demas. Examine yourself. And the good news of the gospel is that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10 tells us that for with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when you think of three Demas, be warned. Be warned. Don't be like the fake Christian that Demas was. But then there's one more name, Luke. When you think of Luke, think of the faithful, skilled servant. He was a doctor who truly loved God and he devoted his skill and his profession and everything that he had to serving God through serving Paul. I believe he was Paul's personal physician for much of Paul's ministry years. He loved God. He loved the Lord so much that he dedicated everything he had to serve. 
As far as we know, Luke, Luke wasn't, a, wasn't a preacher or a teacher. He was a doctor. A doctor who dedicated his life and skills to ministry. In Colossians 4.14, Paul calls Luke the beloved physician. The beloved physician. And this letter to Philemon, he calls Luke, he includes Luke as my fellow worker. Though he may not have been a preacher or teacher, he includes him as my fellow worker. Right? Which shows there's a, there's a whole team aspect that Paul understood that they were working together. Luke was present during Paul's two-year imprisonment in Caesarea Philippi. He didn't abandon him. It was likely during that time that Luke did all his research. Like he was close, had close access to Jerusalem so he could interview Mary, he could interview others. So that's the time we believe that he did his research to write his gospel, the gospel of Luke later. And, and that was written under Paul's authority as an apostle. And Luke was faithful to Paul to the end of his life. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, we see that Luke is the only one left with Paul in chains. Demas had, a, had abandoned him and others he had sent on certain missions. Only Luke was left with him. So the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ presses forward with, with, with all of these faithful servants, minus demon, uh, Demas, um, but with, with you know, the average Christian who we don't really know much about him. I don't see really much of his ministry. See a little bit, but not much. The, the faithful, uh, skilled servant like we have in Luke, um, Epaphras, the fellow pastors, uh, Mark, the one restored to usefulness as a, as a helper. Again, I don't think Mark is actually doing much teaching. He might have been, but, but Scripture doesn't tell us that he was a helper. The, the, the ministry of Christ presses forward as a, as a team effort as we depend upon one another. And Paul understood that. So as you think about these men, there's lessons for each one of us in, the, in their lives. And you can maybe identify with one more than the other. But God's made you unique and he's going to use you in a unique way. He's gifted you spiritually in a way that's unique. Right? You're not like anybody else, right? Which is why those tests of spiritual gifts kind of fail because they put you in categories like with everybody else. God made you unique, right? Like your face is unique. Your spiritual gifting is unique. And he wants you to use that in the ministry of Jesus Christ as we work together. We need that. And in fact, um, we want time to take time to go look at cross passages, but like in Ephesians 4, talks about the ministry of the saints together is needed so that we will be complete. They will be built up and ministering to one another. Unless each part is working effectively, then we don't, we aren't built up to be the mature church that we're called to be. That requires the work of every member. And lastly, I just want to cover in closing really the, the, the last dependency, and that is the work of God requires a dependency upon God's grace. So we depend upon God's word, God's power, God's people, God's grace. God's grace is undeserved favor, undeserved his work in, his, in, in our lives. Paul began his letter with a reference to God's grace. He ends his letter with, um, with a reference to God's grace. This is his typical pattern. He's calling upon God through prayer to, flow, to, to open the floodgates of grace that then in Philemon's life, Onesimus' life, God would empower them to do what he's instructed them to do. And, and we need that as well. And notice he attributes in the last letter, in the last sentence, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's being succinct. He's saying this is, this is God. It, this grace 
is it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ opens the floodgate of God's grace upon our lives. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ just is pointing out the fact that, that Paul is affirming the deity of Jesus Christ. That word the Lord is often used in the New Testament as in the same way that the Old Testament name of God is used. So in the Old Testament, when you read Yahweh, or many Bibles put that as the Lord, right? when they use the small capitals for O-R-D, right? that's the name of God. Right? In the New Testament, that designation, the Lord, is often used in these contexts like that to affirm that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is God. Right? So Paul's affirming the deity of Jesus Christ and that he is the one that, that God's grace flows through as a channel to us. We are so dependent upon God's grace, God's undeserved favor and goodwill. Right? We need God at work in our lives, his grace flowing uh, people don't change easily, and we're often resistant to change. Most people don't like change. There are some people who like change, but most people don't like change. So how do you think the church in, in um, Colossae is going to react to this, this letter about treating a slave like a brother, a former slave like a brother, receiving him as you would Paul? That's not only going to disrupt Philemon's family. That's going to disrupt the whole church, but disrupt it in a good way. It, it did. You know, Paul doesn't doesn't outlaw slavery. And we'll talk about slavery in a, in a separate message. But but notice if Paul's instructions are carried out, not just Philemon to Onesimus, but impacting the church. What what happens to slavery? Well, legally, Onesimus. I mean, Philemon still owns Onesimus legally. But what happens? They become brothers, right? And you treat each other as beloved brothers. And that, that changes the whole dynamic. That, 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 that takes away that dynamic of, of slavery where, where you see someone as mere chattel to be bought or sold. So in effect, Paul puts a dagger in, in the, really the institution of, of slavery. Not legally, but in the heart. And that would need God's grace. How would that church make such a drastic change against the culture except by the grace of God. It would not. And so Paul closes his letter as he opens it, kind of bookending things with the grace of God. Paul is known as the ambassador of the grace of God to the Gentiles. God wants to pour on his grace. We need to recognize that we're dependent upon his grace. We, We can't live independently. God wants to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And the work that God requires us, requires of us, and has given for us to do as a church here at Medina Bible Church, the work that God has given us to do requires dependency upon His Word, upon God Himself through prayer, through through God's people working, and upon God's grace. And if we will depend upon God, He will do great things. And when I say that, that's not code language for like a massive church. Okay, don't read that. The kingdom of God moves forward as God wants it to. Great things is the salvation even of one sinner. One sinner repents. But that too requires the body of Christ working together. When one sinner repents, heaven rejoices. We need God's grace. The work that God requires us to do, He's given us to do, requires us to be dependent upon Him. God's word, God's power, God's people and God's grace. All together. Don't don't try to be an independent Christian. 
living successfully requires us to live in dependency upon God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are so, so thankful that you're the God of grace, the God of undeserved favor, that you've not only saved us and adopted us as your children, but you've pressed us into service, not because you need us, but because you want to use us. We'll be blessed by serving you and administering to the body of Christ. We'll be blessed by watching you work in our lives and using us to minister to other people's lives. Oh God, use this church, use each individual as part of this church, working together for the building up of the body of Christ here at Medina Bible Church. And use us, Lord, for however you, should, you desire. I ask you to help us to be faithful. Help us to be bold witnesses. Just to be faithful, Lord, as, as you were faithful, as Paul was faithful, as Aristarchus was faithful unto death, as Luke was faithful all the way to the end, as Mark became faithful, as Epaphras was faithful, make us to be faithful people, faithful unto each other, faithful unto God, faithful unto Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.